Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey, self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com book. Thousands of you have read and dove into The Gift of Self-Love. The reviews are just incredible. So many five-star reviews, and I'm so forever grateful that it has touched your lives in such a big way. After publishing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I noticed that many of you asked me for a tool that would help you build a daily practice of self-love into your life, which is why I decided to create a new self-love journal, 100 Days of Self-Love. It's got 100 journaling prompts that cover all areas of life, body, identity, purpose, relationships, emotions, and more. So you can think of this as a metaphorical multivitamin for self-love. You can get the journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to maryscupoftea.com journal. These two books, The Gift of Self-Love, The Workbook, And 100 Days of Self-Love, the journal, are complementary to one another, so the content does not overlap. It just depends on what you want or need at this point in your life. It's my mission to share all the self-love tools with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can help you do just that. Hello, my self-lovers. Welcome or welcome back to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm so happy you're here because I have a very special guest on the show today, one of two male guests that have ever been on the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, and his name is Bobby Kazmaier. Bobby Kazmaier speaks very openly about eating disorders, and I think it's especially impressive as a guy because there's just such a big stigma around men struggling with food, and I don't see that many people talking about it besides Bobby. I originally found Bobby on TikTok. I think he just appeared on my For You page, and every single TikTok or reel that he posts is so relatable. Like, he's just so in that space of like what recovery is like and what it's like dealing with food anxiety and binge eating, and it's just incredibly relatable. I invited Bobby on the show to talk about what it's like to struggle with an eating disorder as a man, especially a young man who shares about his journey so openly and publicly. And one thing Bobby and I have in common is that we were both in recovery as we were also creating content about it and sharing that journey on social media, which impacts your brain and the way that we perceive recovery in general growing up in a time where social media is wild, a blessing and a curse. Overall, Bobby wants you to know that you are more than your eating disorder, so he shares very practical tips and tools, including something he calls the two-week rule. His advice is helpful if you're a fellow eating disorder recovery warrior, or maybe you have a man in your life who is exhibiting signs of disordered eating. I think Bobby gives a really nice inside look as to how we can help and just raise awareness around it too. 
And also, I was on Bobby's podcast as well, The Bobby Podcast. In that podcast episode, we go so many different directions, like my personal relationship with food and body image, but also a lot about like coming of age, graduating college, public speaking, and just everything about how my career has evolved since my own personal recovery journey. So maybe after this, you want to go listen to me on Bobby's podcast. All right, now let's hear from Bobby about eating disorders amongst men. Hi, Bobby. Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Hi, Mary. Thank you for having me on. I'm really pumped to be here. Do you love the way I just switched to my radio voice? I know that was actually really crazy. I wish I had the talent to do that. (laughs) I feel like you're a natural though. It's, It's better this way. So as you've probably heard from a lot of podcasts that you've been a guest on, you are one of our first male guests and especially one to speak openly about eating disorders and disordered eating, which is what I'm excited to dive into and also just so much about college life, content creator life. I think we have so much in common, even though it feels like we're from different walks of life. I know, seriously. I know. I'm excited to get into all this. Let's do it. Okay. So for those who don't know you, give us like a synopsis of eating disorder recovery. I'm honestly fascinated by how you had the courage to not just confront it, but share it online so openly. And again, I'm sure you're sick of hearing this, but like, especially as a guy, like it's hard. I can't imagine. So tell us about what that's been like. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely hard at the start. I mean, and it still can be hard at times for sure. Like I was recently on um, Colleen Christensen's podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with her. I love her and it was great. And I mentioned that like, it was hard at the start, but it still can be hard because I kind of realized like, wow, this many people actually know that I've dealt with this before in my life. And 99% of the time, it's fine. Everyone in my real life supports me with it. And it's great. And like, I get a lot of great feedback online and, you know, it's given me so many opportunities like this one, for example, but there's still like that 1% sometimes where it's like, you know, damn, it's just like surreal that the same people know sometimes. And like, sometimes in the back of my head, if I see people like my friends or whatever, it's like, damn, like, do they think it'd be differently? Even though like they don't, but I'd still like internally in the back of my head, it's just like, these are things that I would not have thought about two, three years ago before I started this. So it can be hard, but I know what I do is like, it's for the betterment of others and it's to help other people, especially guys. So I know it's worth it, but there's still that 1% sometimes where it's like, wow, damn. <laughs> when you meet someone new and they are like, what's your Instagram? Do yeah. you give them your public Instagram? I do, but I, I don't say anything else. I just say, oh, here's my handle. And then like, they'll follow me and they'll be like, oh my God, this is insane. Like, this is yeah. awesome. I've yet to have a negative experience in my real life with other people. It's all been positive, which is amazing. So I'm really glad to hear that. And I'm also wondering if you've had experiences of people you personally know come out to you about their own struggles. Yes, it actually has happened. A couple of my guy friends actually, past couple of years, they'll, you know, they'll text me like Snapchat or whatever. They'll tell me something that they're dealing with. And they feel comfortable talking to me about it because of what I've been through and what I'm, you know, because I'm in a book about this stuff. So, and that's something that they would not have had the courage to share with me if it wasn't for what I do. So that was kind of like a crazy, like full circle moment when that happens. And I, I'm like very grateful that like they have the courage to talk to me about something like that. And obviously I have friends who are girls as well, who will, you know, talk to me about this stuff as well, especially the people who are, who are in my major. I went to school for nutrition. So like a lot of us, like the whole, like 
eating disorder to nutrition major pipeline is like kind of crazy. And it's just funny that I'm part of that now. So yeah, there's plenty of examples of my real life of just talking about the kind of stuff. I think it's really awesome that like we can make this like less taboo to talk about. It is a cool little community. And I don't know if it's, well, I'm not a guy. So like most of the people that I follow in this space are women, but I'm wondering, we only have like a couple year age gap and still talking to you feels refreshing. Like I'm still Gen Z. I'm still like young and everything. But I feel like even people my age, like they're not, especially guys, they're not open like you are. Is it a generational thing? Is it just you? Is it like East Coast College? Like how did you even have the courage to start talking about stuff like this? Well, the courage started from, it was inspiration from 2020, fall 2020, winter 2020, I was home for winter break and I had like two months off of school because they had to stay home from Thanksgiving to the end of winter break because of COVID. They didn't want us coming back and forth after Thanksgiving in winter break. So I was home for two months and I didn't really know how to like fill my time. And I was scrolling on TikTok one day because, you know, 2020 felt like prime TikTok. So I was on there like all the time. And one of my friends from school, she posted this like very like vulnerable video and I was like, wow, if she had the courage to post something as vulnerable as this, like, why can't I? And this was like around the time where I had this like epiphany where I was like, I really want to dive into something like this and like talk about something this serious. And that felt like a sign to just go do it. And I had this moment because I also at this point, too, I, I told maybe four or five people, like close people in my life that I dealt with an eating disorder. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. Like, there's not that many guys that or if any at the time that really did something like this. And I wanted to be dropping force in that. And I felt like this was like my calling for whatever reason, as corny as that sounds. That's just like, I felt that in like my soul. So I remember like the first video I posted about this was just like, it was like a message, like just for, you know, guys specifically who were struggling with food in the past. You know, I just want to like get the word out there that like guys can struggle with this as well. And I posted it and I got great feedback right away. And that's when it kind of hit me that I wanted to keep doing this. I didn't really care what anybody thought about it. And I got no negative pushback from anybody in my real life, like friends and family. Because that was my biggest fear was like people treating me differently or acting differently around me because I was open about this now, but nothing changed. If anything, people appreciate it and my life is better because of it. But it was definitely hard to like hit post like for the first time. Like I was, I think I was sitting there for like 10 minutes, like debating whether or not I should hit post. And like, it was like a whirlwind. But once I started doing it, it just felt more and more natural and to where we are today. So how long before that were you struggling? Who at that point, three plus years, I think the first time I like, so looking back, I was struggling for about a year, but I didn't know at the time. I didn't realize what I was doing was a problem until the second year. So like 2018, my senior year of high school or junior year of high school, because I went on this like dramatic weight loss journey and I lost a lot of weight in a very short amount of time, but I didn't really know. I had no nutritional or, you know, fitness knowledge at the time. So I thought of what I was doing was fine because I, because I saw results. And then once you see results, you get hooked. And then that's where it becomes obsessive. And it's just like this whole spiral. So at that point, I was feeling good. Like late 2020, I was feeling good about where I was with food and exercise. But looking back, I still was not at the place where I am now. So I felt like it was kind of a nice, like, even line between like, I could use this for myself as well. Like I could hold myself accountable in a way if I'm posting about this as well, because I am still not 100% where I need to be, but I'm at a place where I can still feel like I can help people. So yeah, I was at a point where like I was progressing in the right direction, but I wasn't 100% there yet. That's actually a perfect segue to one of the questions I had written down. How do you feel like being public about eating disorder recovery has impacted your personal recovery? Because I have a very 
intricate answer for myself and a very unique experience. But just like I was telling you before we started recording, sometimes I'm like, well, what would my journey be like if I wasn't creating content around it or if I didn't have that to hold me accountable? I can't say for sure if it's like better or worse, like did this expedite the process and make me feel more motivated and connected to a community? Or did this, you know, make me put on a facade when I fully didn't have the time and space with myself to heal before like being so public and open about it? So just curious, like what that was for you. Yeah, I definitely think it would be a lot different if I did not post content. Because for example, at least last year, a lot of my content was centered around like POVs of like certain habits I would do in the past. You know, I would post those because it would help people feel a little bit less alone. So I know at least for me, like when I would do things like that, I felt like no one else in the world was going through what I was going through. What was that first video that you posted that you said you were nervous about? Was it like a POV, like some kind of disordered habit? Yeah. So in that sense, yeah, the first one was either fighting an urge to binge eat. Because at this time, I was actually falling back into like binge eating habits kind of out of nowhere. I feel like I wouldn't be as transparent if I wouldn't show the ups and downs of recovering. So I decided to, you know, upload my downs and the downs did really well content wise. So I was at a really tough divide where I was like, uh, like, okay, so I'm kind of in a rough place personally, but a lot of people are resonating with it. And the content is doing well. So like, what do I do? I have evidence that me showing a video of me going through like my thoughts and actions during an actual binge is on the internet and it's like doing well. And a lot of people can relate to it and they appreciate the transparency, but like, I can't be doing that forever. If I want to actually get to a fully recovered state, I can't keep doing that. So yeah, there are times where it's like really difficult because obviously if I wasn't creating content, I wouldn't have to worry about things like that. I honestly feel like my binge eating relapse that spanned from like January of 2022 to April of 2022 would not have lasted that long if I wasn't creating content. Because in the back of my head, I was like, well, I have evidence that this content does well. So I'm kind of like delaying this process for content. So it's so like fucked up to think it like and say out loud, but that's just really what it was like. So yeah, it definitely would be a lot different. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with me because I've definitely had experiences It's beautiful and it can be very difficult when your pain becomes your platform, especially in such a extreme capacity like the internet. And not to mention, I think it's worth saying that you blew up to over 300,000 followers in what, like two to three years? I mean, that's insane. Yeah. Like, and it's funny too, because for me, it's always like one certain video blows up and then I get like half my following from that. Like, I had one video that like two years ago, that just kind of like described what my account was about. And it went viral and I got like 50K followers in two days. So I feel like it hasn't been this like slow progression of a following, but it's just been like here and there, like a huge influx of people will just come, which is like great. I'm not going to complain about that. Obviously, I really appreciate every single person who follows me. And like, I still can't believe it sometimes. Social media is a really weird place because everybody's journey with it and experience is like so wildly different from everyone else. It's wild. Are most of your followers like male identifying or female? Actually, it's female. Last time I checked, it was like 84% female, 16% male, which I think is about right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I always do is I'm like, okay, well, 16%, that means 16% of 300,000 is like 50,000 men that are following you. It's insane. To me, that's like, 
we always know the stats of like 96% of girls at the age of 10 struggle with eating disorders. But to think like just 50,000 men who have found you, that doesn't include the whole world who is struggling with it, with an eating disorder and also feels like they can't talk about it. Because I think amongst women, it's become a little bit more common, at least like the people that I hang out with. Like that's a lot of men who are probably silently suffering. Right. And it is like really sad because I will get DMs from guys on their backup accounts and not their main accounts, just on the off chance somebody in their life somehow figured out that they messaged me about something like this. It's just like, it's so insane, but that's just the reality of it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was thinking like, and I know a lot of women follow you too. And for me personally, like when I found you, I think I found you on my For You page on either TikTok or Instagram. But my first thought was, wow, like even though it's on my For You page, I relate deeply like to the particular content, but I think like seeing your face and a guy's body, that makes me that much more likely to forward that to like my boyfriend or like a guy friend or like just somebody that they can see themselves in, which is why it's so important to have representation. I think we all know that. I'm wondering like, how did you put the words eating disorder to what was happening? And who was the first person that you told? first person I told was my sister in the summer of 2018 because at that point it was really I was in like one of like my worst places with it and I realized what I was doing was an issue when so (laughs) in high school like I said I had zero knowledge on nutrition fitness any of that I just knew if you exercised more and ate less you would lose weight and that's what I wanted to do because I grew up as like a heavy set kid and everybody in my life was thin and I wasn't so that was like the driving force I think in my struggles and I lost a lot of weight really quickly because I would like run every single day and I would run on no food essentially because I, that's all I knew and I thought it would work and it did. So I kept doing it. And then there was one day where I just, I was so fatigued, so tired. I was on my treadmill on this treadmill and I, I couldn't even run a mile and that was never an issue. And I was so confused as to why, <laughs> like, I honestly didn't even know that food was like energy for us at the time, which is like crazy to think now. So I looked up like, why am I so tired all the time? Like, why can I not run a mile or whatever? And like the symptoms of an eating disorder kept coming up. And I was like, no way. I was like, there's no way. So then I kept doing my research on it. That's when I was like, wow, like this is a real thing. But the voice in my head wouldn't let me switch gears and get better because that voice is so loud and it drives you in the worst direction possible. So I couldn't stop what I was doing. So that's when I realized what I was doing was a problem. And that was going on for a couple of months. At that point, I was at like my breaking point. I had to tell somebody. And I have a great relationship with my sister. So I wanted her to be the first person that I told. So I knew that like, she wouldn't judge me. She wouldn't think of me any differently at all. So I told her and like, as good as it felt to like, tell her and like, actually say it out loud. It was still just like a, like a jarring moment in my life that like, I'll never forget it. It was just, it was wild. How did she react? Actually the same as every single person I told in my real life. It was always like, I would have never known, which like goes to show that like eating disorders are very easy to hide. She had no idea. She was really surprised. She was floored. But, you know, obviously she was really supportive and like she wanted, you know, me to be the best version of myself down the line. So I don't regret it, obviously, because this kickstarted this whole journey for me. But yeah, it was uh, it was wild. (laughs) Your sister, is she older or younger? Yeah, she's a year older than me. She's a year older. Oh, so you're really close in age. And what happened after that? Like what kind of help or support did you receive? Yeah. So I remember I told her, like, do not tell mom and dad, like, don't do it. 
And then, of course, you ended up telling them, which was like the right thing to do. But at the time, I was like, I didn't want them to know. So a month after I told my sister, my parents sat me down and like talked to me about it. And, you know, they noticed like that, like I lost a lot of weight really quickly, things of that nature. And they wanted me to get better. I didn't go to treatment. So I guess I recovered, quote unquote, on my own. But I had a great support system around me, like my parents would like make me lunch for school because I was still in high school at the time. Um, so they made me lunch for school. Like, you know, they'd make sure I you know, ate dinner, all that stuff. And when you moved away for college, did it get easier or harder? Because I can imagine, I don't know what your living situation was like, but yeah. for me, my ED thrived when I was living on my own or left alone. Mm-hmm. Me too. When I first went to college, my relationship with food was like the best it's ever been. Like I stopped weighing myself. I was eating you know, a lot throughout the day. Cause I was also working out a lot as well. And that was also part of the reason for my recovery. But the day I realized that food was not the enemy for me was it was my first day of starting CrossFit and my cousin and her husband owns the gym. So like I knew them very well. I was, I was nervous going in, but I was comfortable because they were there. And after I did the first workout, I was really tired, all that stuff. And this was after I was like, I told my sister about my issues and then after the workout, they came up to me and they were like, okay, now you have to go eat a lot. And I was like confused. I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you just have like a really hard workout. You have to go eat a lot. And at that moment, I was like, damn, like food is not the enemy. So I went home and I ate a lot and it was great. That was like the kickstart, like my great senior year of high school with like a great relationship with food. So I was eating a lot. I was working out a lot. I had a great relationship with like food, exercise, everything. I wasn't being obsessive about it. And then I got to college and that's where I developed an exercise addiction and then binge eating for the first time. So, and part of that was because I was on my own living in a dorm with just a person I've, I've never met in my life. And it was just a vicious cycle because I think I got addicted to my Apple watch. I got a watch for my 18th birthday and having access to how many calories you burn in a day and how many sips you get in a day, it can be helpful for some people, but for me, it was, it got very obsessive very quick. And I always wanted to like hit my move goals, hit my step count, like all that stuff. So, and being on a college campus, when you're walking a lot and you're, you have to travel by feet all the time, you're burning a lot more and you're walking a lot more. So naturally I got hungrier and this developed my binge eating for the first time. I would literally stay up at night and eat like four pound bags of trail mix, like every night. And then to compensate for that, I would overexercise. And it was just this constant cycle that I couldn't get out of for quite a while. So yeah, you're right. College definitely, my eating disorder thrived in college at the start as well. Yeah. Well, huge medical disclaimer here because I'm not a mental health professional or a physician of any sort. But from when I was researching different eating disorders, a lot of people will refer to what you described as, like you said, like binge eating, addicted to exercise, the binge and restrict cycle. And that's exactly what I experienced, like to a T as well. One thing that I didn't know that I wish I did is that that's actually bulimia because it's binging and purging. And yeah. purging doesn't necessarily have to be throwing up. It's also like over-exercising, like sweating a ton or like compensating by not eating. And that cycle, I guess, technically is like bulimia. I believe it might be called exercise bulimia. I'm also not a medical professional, so like, but this is what I've seen online, which makes sense. And the reason why it was like important for me to learn about this is because when I was going through it and I was on the internet looking at the forums, like these symptoms and the way I was feeling mentally and everything, it was called 
EDNOS, like eating disorder, not otherwise specified, because at that time, even just like five, 10 years ago, it was like anorexic. The people who aren't don't have enough willpower to be anorexic or bulimic. And then everybody else who was either in a bigger body or having some kind of hodgepodge of experiences, that was Ednos. Yeah. Yeah. I actually learned about that in one of my classes. Like we talked about it a little bit. And yeah, it's, but I'm, I'm glad to see there's been like a progression in like identifying these different kinds of eating disorders over the past five, 10 years. So it is nice to see that they're being, I guess, recognized. I don't know if I want to say it's nice to see it, but it's just like, I don't know. It's nice to see that these people are getting like recognized and their struggles are like being validated, I guess. Yeah, it is validating to be taken seriously because then people can get help. You mentioned the like nutrition pipeline. What did you call it? The eating disorder to nutrition major pipeline. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I have lots of friends and, and followers who are are pursuing that. And I think it's really cool. But I'm wondering, like, has it helped your journey? Like, I feel like I have mixed thoughts because I guess it just depends on your professor. It depends on like how old your textbook is. But I know a lot of people like the pipeline was flipped. It was like nutrition to eating disorder. You know what I mean? And luckily now, like there's more eating disorder dietitians and like anti-diet and like people committed to like anti-fat bias and and all of that. So great. But like, how was it for you? Actually, I had a really great experience. It helped me a lot. Like you said, it does depend a lot on the professors and how the material is described and taught to us. I was in a great program. Like we had conversations about haze. I don't know if you're familiar with that health at every size. We had conversations about that. Like a lot of lectures about debunking diet culture. And I actually got to like work with a client this past semester and we followed a Hayes approach. So it was really cool to see that like we're in a society now, at least like I said, my, where my program was, where we were able to kind of go in this direction that's not all about diet culture and macro counting. I was a little skeptical at first as well when I joined the major because I joined halfway through my sophomore year. But like I said, great program, great professors, like they generally cared Everyone who I was around in that program over my last three years was great. And it was, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So, About three years ago, I started putting together a playlist with uplifting, inspiring, and empowering songs. I originally did this for myself because I love music of all different genres. And every time I would notice a song that just made me feel good, I would add it to my self-love playlist. And now there are over 300 songs on my Spotify self-love playlist. And these tracks are perfect for when you're getting ready, trying to hype yourself up, or going through a struggle and need a reminder for how badass you are. If you love music as much as I do, then go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist to get the Spotify link. It will ask you for your email so that I can send you this self-love playlist. And full transparency, this will also put you on my email list where I send out a monthly newsletter about stuff I'm thinking about, personal things, things I don't really share on social media, and all the happenings in the Mary's Cup of Tea world. So go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist and let's start jamming to my self-love playlist together. What was your major before and why did you switch to nutrition? I was in journalism before and 
I switched to nutrition around the time I started my TikTok. It was like a week after I started my TikTok. I was like, you know what? I Let's try going full throttle into this because I hated journalism. I only picked it because we were just like, I wanted to pick a major before college. Like that's just, you know, a product of the system forcing 17 year olds to decide what they want to do for the rest of their life. So I picked journalism. I took the the year of classes. I didn't like it. I didn't really know what my passion was. And then when I started, you know, creating content, I really just like, it was really fun. And it was like, I can really see myself doing this long term. So I wanted to learn more about food and like the driving force and helping other people. So it just kind of went hand in hand and it, it, it went perfectly. And, you know, now I'm here done with it. So it's or done with my degree, at least. So it's it's crazy. Yeah. Congratulations on graduating. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Before I ask you more about like life post-college and the work you're doing with your online platform and your podcast, I want to know like what helped you the most in recovery. I heard a couple of different things. Like you said, you had a great support system with your family, like all recovery, it's non-linear. So there are like bumps along the road in college, but then you switch to nutrition major, which luckily really helped you. I'm assuming by like educating you on, I guess, the proper approaches to food and eating or not proper, but like more helpful. So I'm wondering if there was like anything else you really attribute your recovery to because your content, like you're in people's heads because you've experienced it, but also like the helpful tools that you offer are very like just well delivered, I guess. And it seems like you just know a lot, especially for someone who says like you kind of recovered on your own. So how did you do it? Yeah. I mean, it sounds really like bland, not bland, but I don't know. It's very basic. I, I feel like I just started forcing myself to live my life in a sense, like being in a college environment and being around my friends, which obviously, you know, we go out for food a lot, we'll go out and do whatever, like I'm forced to live my life. And the more I did that, I would realize that there's way more to life than just food and like obsessing over food. Like I would go out and have pizza at midnight with my friends and I wake up the next morning and be totally fine. Like, oh, wow, that really wasn't that bad. Like, I can keep doing this. This is something that I can sustain. And there's no really no need to obsess about my weight or, you know, what, how much I'm eating or if I, you know, took a rest day, like, cause in the long run, it's really not going to matter. One of my favorite like terms or phrases, I, I don't want to say I've coined, but I just, I call it the, the two week rule. And if I am ever like stressed about something that I ate before or like that day, I just automatically think back to everything or I try to remember everything I ate two weeks ago today and I can't do it because it was two weeks ago. So it's like, why am I stressing about this food I'm eating right now when in two weeks, I'm not even going to remember that I ate it. So it's just like little things like that that I just pick up where it just makes my recovery so much easier. It's just like, just living my life is really just, it's so like basic. I feel like that's just, that's what's helped me the most. Okay. That's brilliant. I really love that. So if you're stressing about what you ate today, you're like, okay, well, let me remember what I ate two weeks ago. And then you realize that you can't remember. So then you're like, what I ate today is not going to matter two weeks from now. So why am I yeah. stressing about it now? Exactly. <laughs> nice. I like that. So it seems like it was just like a lot of almost like mindset tools because one thing that I personally love about recovery is that I just feel like it's made me so much more emotionally intelligent. And hopefully we can talk about this on your podcast, but like there's these transferable skills where it's like, you know, we all read the quote about 
if something's not going to matter a year from now, don't worry about it today. Right. And like we scroll by it, we double tap it like it's super cool. But like recovery forces you to apply it in your brilliant two week rule, for example. Oh, yeah. I use that method like in my life in general. Like I push it back further. I do like I look at my life in like five year increments where it's like five years ago. I didn't know what TikTok even was just as like an example. So it's like, if I'm stressing about my life right now, anything that's going on and which is like happening a lot more for me now, cause I just finished school and like, I'm in this like area of like uncertainty for the first time with like not official structure, which is scary. But like, I just think about, you know, in five years from now, I'll be 26. And like, there's so many things that, that, that are going to happen to me that I'm not even aware of yet in those five years. So it's like, why am I, you know, stressing about this? Like 95% of my life right now, I was not that person five years ago. So it's like, what's the point of even worrying about it? Yeah, that's so true. So let's talk about these struggles as like a content creator. And you you mentioned stressing about TikTok. And I totally relate to that on so many levels because I've been doing this for like 10 years. I feel like it's just hijacked my brain and I dream of a life without social media. But I also see so much good in it. Like it's connected me to so many people and given me so many opportunities. But I think one big shift that I've seen, especially in people like my age or younger, is that when I was posting about binge eating, for example, it was mainly this really small community of a lot of people that if I didn't know personally, we've been following each other for so long that I kind of established a relationship. So I was like posting content really for the sake of connection with a lot of people that I knew. And it was never like in my mind to like grow my following. Now I feel like because of the way like the For You page is structured, we no longer have the old chronological field on Instagram where we look at people we know and what they're doing. With the For You page, it's strangers all of the time. I never go on the people I follow thing on TikTok. I'm only on the For You page. So it's like, people, myself included, we're creating content as like a production for strangers. Like we know it's not for the people that we know. And it just like is a very different mental shift. Yeah, it really is. That's so funny to say like, I think Instagram should go back to the chronological form. I miss that. Because like I joined Instagram when I was 10 and that was in like 2011, 2012-ish. And like, it was great. And like, you know, it's just crazy. Like if you like told me what Instagram would be like 10 years from now, like how it is right now, I would have been like, what, like, what even is this? Like, why would I follow a stranger online and be interested in their life and then get influenced by them to buy shit I don't need? Yeah, it's wild. Actually, I saw a reel the other day where it was like this content creator was like flustered because Instagram was pushing videos and tiktok is pushing slideshows which is what instagram was and now instagram is tiktok and it's just like (laughs) how do you even keep up it's like it's so insane to see like the ebbs and flows of like each social media app and it's like sometimes i'm even like how can i even like keep up with this it's wild yeah and now do you feel like it's kind of like your career like now that you're graduated is it something you're taking very seriously what's that like yes and no like yes meaning i take it seriously and i really value in the content that I provide and post, and I love doing it. No, in the sense where I don't want to take it too seriously, where I get burnt out and I'm forcing content and I lose that spark that I initially got when I first started. I mean, I already kind of experienced that now. Like, I feel like I will never have that like initial spark again of like starting something and like building it up from zero. Cause when I started my account, I had eight followers and they're just everyone I knew. 
I'm not going to get that again, but I obviously still love what I do. And it's like every day I'm really grateful I can do this, but I also want to create something bigger than my social media platforms because I know that, you know, Instagram and TikTok, they're not going to be around forever. So I want to build something that's bigger, kind of like how you did with your book, both of your books, like something along that line where it's like, I can have this like everlasting product service, whatever it may be, where it's like, I promote what I do on social media, but it's just everlasting. And it's like, I would feel really good about that because I don't know if I'll be posting TikToks when I'm 45. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, There's no point even worrying about that yet, but it's just like, I just want to create something bigger, essentially. Well, like you said, five years ago, we didn't even know what TikTok was. <laughs> it was still Musical.ly back then. Remember That's that? That's right. It was Musical.ly. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, definitely disrupted everything. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be as old as MySpace is now when we're 45, hopefully. I just fantasize about all this stuff getting shut down sometimes because... Like I said, I think social media has really shifted from social media to stay connected with people you know to now like everyone is an influencer. Even if you have two followers, like you're still kind of posting as if you're an influencer. And I don't know if it's necessarily healthy because I feel like it's one thing if you choose it, but it's another thing when it's like forced down your throat. Yeah. Part of me, like whenever someone comes up to me and was like, and they jokingly say like, oh, like you're an influencer. That, what's that like? It's like, I don't want to see myself as that. Like, it's obviously like no shit or anything towards influencers. I like the term content creator a lot better. I don't know. I just, it feels better because I don't know. I feel like the influencer is like too much pressure for for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that what you call yourself? Content creator? Because in your bio, you say video creator. Does Instagram have a content creator option? I think they have like blogger, public figure, but yours is like specifically video creator. And I know you do reels. So that made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because the video creator feels the closest to content creator to me because it's it's not false. I create videos. The public figure influencer, I just like, I don't, for some reason, I don't like, I think part of that is ironically enough, I don't like being the center of attention just in my real life, at least. I feel like the more like, blandish term for influencer i like that better so content creator that's why i view myself as <laughs> well i think that's what makes your videos so special is that they're not about you they're about people seeing themselves and you right that's like the the driving force of my content is i want people to feel less alone in whatever they're going through i also want to be someone who i, I could have needed five years ago i think about that whenever i, I hit post or hit send or whatever it may be I really want someone watching that to get something out of it, whether they feel validated, they they feel less alone, whatever it may be. Like that's the goal with every single thing that I post. Yeah. Sometimes I'm even okay with people feeling like a little bit activated if it means that they're gonna be thinking differently about something not so kind that they're doing to themselves. You know what I mean? Do you ever get defensive people? Oh, all the time. I mean, I, <laughs> I try my best to block out negative-ish comments or defensive comments like that i've just because i've become so accustomed to them i think at the start i was having a lot of issues with like negative comments like there would be times where a lot of my videos would hit like like gym tiktok or gym talk whatever and like i just get hundreds of comments with like weak or like fake fake problem like this is the woman's issue like stuff like that but now i've drowned those out because obviously like you know i'm never gonna meet these people they don't mean anything to me like it is what it is but yeah, I think there were a lot of times where I would be like, damn, like this is like the repercussions I'm going to have to face if I wanted to continue to do this. With every like one negative comment, I get a hundred positive comments. So it's like, obviously I, I focus more on those. <laughs> yeah. Well, it took me years to learn that. And I don't even know if I've 
fully learned that yet, but that's what I feel is kind of dangerous because even though like you can say, it doesn't matter what strangers think, like there's a hundred positive ones for every one negative one. But when the algorithm sees that gym people are getting their panties in a bunch over your content and they're pushing it over and over, like to me, that becomes a tech ethicist problem. Like that feels ethically like not right to put content creators in front of people that the algorithm knows they will hate. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is where I get very, like, if I were to evolve in my career, like, I would be kind of interested in pursuing something around tech ethics because these companies and corporations don't give a fuck about our well-being. There's a whole new creator economy. It's a lot of young people such as yourself and even younger, and they're victim to so much harassment. And we can say, like, you shouldn't care what strangers think. But when you're receiving an influx of messages like that, I don't think that many people know what that's like. It's scary. It makes you feel for your safety. Like I have double locks installed on all our doors because of one time that the algorithm pushed my stuff to the wrong side of the internet, you know, and just got me paranoid. Oh, yeah. I can't blame you because I have also been there. Like, because I think at the start for me, at least like that, that one negative comment would just stick out and I would think about it all day. And I would even debate like deleting the post sometimes because I was just like, well, if this person feels that way, why should I even have this up? I just think, yeah, you're right. I think there should be like an option to like, I don't know if there's a way to like select certain niches where like your videos would not get pushed out to. Yeah. Or like, like I want this to go to people who already follow me. Yeah, that's the thing. You're right. Because that's like the biggest thing with, I feel like it's more on TikTok where it's like a lot of your videos, the majority of the percentage of the viewers aren't your followers. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, what's the point? <laughs> like, why? Like, I just had a video go viral and it was from a podcast. I was talking about relationship tips. And obviously, it was 10 seconds out of a 35 minute podcast episode where I was talking about, like, if your partner doesn't respond to you or they're ignoring you when you're trying to, like, show them something that you're interested in, then that's like a red flag. Well, it got on ADHD TikTok. Oh, no. And we all know how tight knit and defensive ADHD TikTok can get. And I love that people have found themselves in that space. But suddenly there's 300 comments overnight about people, you know, they weren't mean to me personally. And I'm very grateful for that. But everybody is like, or he just has ADHD. This is bullshit advice. And I'm like, it's just kind of wild. And then because all these comments came flooding in, now the video is almost at 2 million views because now TikTok thinks that ADHD people like it. I don't know anything about ADHD. I don't want to be in front of them. Like, I don't want to mislead people. So it's, it's just, it's interesting. It really is. I fall victim to this as well. Like when I'm, you know, consuming content, I automatically see the video and think, oh, how do I apply this to myself or my own perspectives or own views without, you know, giving the the creator a sense of their own opinion or perspective. So it's like, we always like try and relate the content to ourselves. So then we like kind of project our beliefs and our opinions without hearing the other side. So that that's my like issue with a lot of like the comments again. It's like, and like you said, like it's like a 10 second clip of a 35 minute podcast. Like there's only so many, like there's only so much you can get out of a, a reel or a TikTok that like you can't get yeah. outside of it. It's it's wild. One of my friends, I don't know if you know Cara Lowenthal. She has that Unfuck Your Brain podcast. And oh yeah. Yeah, it has downloaded like 50 million times. Like, okay, this lady's huge. And she replied to one of my Instagram stories. And the way she said it, you know, people say something a certain way and it lands with you. And now it's just like, in your brain and it's good when it's good. So she said something like, 
how dare you marry? Don't you know that all of your content has to apply to everyone at all times? (laughs) And the satire behind it, like actually, it helps me personally. It helps me navigate like the crazy content creator world. Yeah. It's like, I think I saw this on Twitter once like a couple of years ago. It was like, it was just relating to Twitter specifically, but it was like 90% of Twitter is somebody imagining somebody that doesn't exist and creating a problem about it. And then it's like, <laughs> I don't know, like imagining fake scenarios. I don't know. It's just, yeah, social media is, it's interesting sometimes. <laughs> it's true. It's nice to see like at least people thinking critically about it. I always wondered like, do the young people like understand the impact that it's making on their brains? And again, you're not that much younger than me, so I don't mean this to sound like condescending or anything, but like, you know, I have a little sister who's 14 and they spend all their time on the internet and it's like the world that we hang out in and it matters and we need more tech ethicists and we need people thinking about how it's impacting creators and consumers and like everyone in between. Yeah, because it's not going away. Like the internet is not going away and it's like we're progressing more and more to being just a technologically sound world and like we're gonna have to be on the internet and we're gonna have to come across places from people and yeah so we gotta just figure out how to navigate it the best way we can but it's really hard to do when everybody's on the internet (laughs) bringing it full circle what is like the number one thing that you want people to take away from your page or your podcast? I know right now you probably have a lot of people in the eating disorder recovery space following you, but as you grow and like go into other topics now that you're graduated and have lots of knowledge to share, like what is that thing that you really want people to absorb from you? Yeah. So two things. The first one is that recovering is not linear at all. That's why I show the ups and the downs of my own journey with it, just to show that it's not this linear process. Like, like you're just going to wake up one day and you're good. Like you got to take it day by day. There's going to be, you know, certain things you're going to have to deal with that you wouldn't expect, but you're going to get through them. Like there's going to be more good days than bad as time progresses. And eventually hopefully you'll be at a day where there's a hundred good days to one bad day and you just brush it off. Like nothing even happened. So that's the biggest thing I like to share and with my videos, because a lot of people like they'll say like, oh, you know, I've been for the first time in a year and now I feel like I'm back to square one. But it's like, no, it's like you just went a year without binging. Like, that, that's insane. Don't let this like one bad day, you know, define your next year. Then the other one is like to remind people that like you are way more than just your eating disorder. Like, and then that's like hard for a lot of people to come to terms with and myself included, too, because when you think about food all day, it's like, you feel like this is like just part of you. And it's like, that doesn't have to be like that. Like you have, there's so many other great qualities and traits that you have that have nothing to do with your eating disorder. So you're way more than that. And you will find who you truly are once you enter, you know, your recovered state. Yeah. I think recovery is a gateway to so much, so much more. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Bobby. Thanks for your vulnerability and sharing everything so openly. I think this has been very eye-opening for the women who are listening and being like, wow, maybe some of the guys in my life are going through this, brothers, cousins, partners. And also maybe there's some some male listeners here who feel so seen by you as well. And I think it's just so beautiful and so needed. I get emails from a lot of men who are like, do you know male self-love people? Like, please, (laughs) you know? So now I know where to direct them. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on there. This is awesome. One last thing before we farewell, my self-lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. 
You can do this by searching for the show, Mary's Cup of Tea. Scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting, so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on Spotify, there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love. I love you all so much and I will talk to you in next week's episode.